Words like shame and guilt attach themselves to the stories our lives are telling. Peter, a follower of Christ, knew this all too well. He was the disciple who dropped everything to follow Jesus, was an eyewitness to miracles that we only dream of experiencing, and was the only disciple to step out of the boat and walk on water, even if only for a few seconds. But then things get messy. The pressure of the crowd causes Peter to experience his own version of shame and guilt. And if we're honest, our lives might just be closer to Peter's life than we care to admit. You're invited into a moment of reset and discovery, because the events around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the absolute answer to every longing heart. So may God give us eyes to see. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads on Labor Day weekend. It's the first weekend of college football. I know that made a lot of people happy, probably made a lot of people stay in the bed because they were up last night watching college football or spending the whole day watching it yesterday. Again, it was an exciting day. You also could kind of get the first hint of fall the first part of last week. In the morning, it was like 58 degrees. It was great to get out. We need a little rain, so put that in your prayer list, you know, on your prayer request list, because we need some rain. Uh, I don't see much rain in the next 10 days. But again, fall is on the way. But if you look at the weather for the next six or seven days, it's just a reminder that summer is not giving up. So uh, summer is holding on until, what, the 21st of September, I think, is when summer actually ends. But Uh, It's going to let you know that it isn't quite done yet. And we realize that it's a busy weekend, lots of people traveling, lots of people just doing what they do. Uh, So whether you are in the building or whether you're joining us online, let us welcome you. We're glad, especially for those that got up and came on to church. You know, it's funny, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this, because, you know, what does Jesus say? If you're thinking it, you might as well say it, right? No, not not necessarily that way. But I mean, if you if you if you're if you're if you're thinking it, you might as well have done it, you know. Uh, but anyway, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. Okay, just kind of roll with me. Uh, but the funny thing is that a lot of people just use a holiday. Well, I don't have to go to church because it's a holiday weekend. And I know some of those people will join us online, but it's so important to be here. And again, let you know so that you do know uh, we, we intended to go totally acoustic. We planned this Sunday to just be Julio and his guitar, and that's it. So, again, that was planned, and there's nothing wrong. Uh, Again, we just planned that because, again, it kind of forces you to sing. It kind of forces you to engage because, again, we talked about this just a few minutes ago. We are such a consumer culture that you guys want to stand there and watch what's happening on the stage. That's not what this is about. This is for you to come into this auditorium and to have somebody lead you in worship. It's about you giving your worship to God. It's about you expressing, you singing. And let me just tell you, don't worry if you can't sing because I can't sing, but you will hear me sing. I wish I could sing because if I did, I'd be doing both parts of this service. You know what I'm saying? And we'd save a lot of money again, but again, that's, that's neither here nor there. So again, thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, share this from our Facebook page to your Facebook page. It looks a little different today on Facebook. I was looking at it a while ago before I came in. Uh, I know we're doing some things differently. But again, just the look on Facebook was a little bit different, but it was fine. It was there. So thank you for joining us online. Leave a comment. You have a prayer request. Uh, Drop that prayer request in the comments. If it's too sensitive, you can send it to us at info at crossroadslebanon.com, and we'll get that prayer request to our prayer team. 
Now, many of you may not know this. Many of you do know that I was, when I was younger, uh, I worked for the Kroger Company for about 12 years. Uh, I loved Kroger. I still love Kroger. It was a great company then. Uh, I, and, and I just, I was a total company man. And when I got a job there, I, I, my intention was to go into management, which I did. I signed up for the management training program and ultimately got into what I think is one of the best or was one of the best. And I understand it's still pretty good. One of the best management training programs in that particular niche of business, the grocery business. Uh, what's really interesting is this, when I was in, in the training program, uh, I had one guy that was a part of the program who's he's probably passed away now because this was back in the 80s when we had really good music. Uh, so anyway, can I get an amen on that? The, the music in the 80s was good. But, but again, as I, as I think about it, this, this guy was somebody who intimidated me. I mean, we've all had those people in life who push our buttons. Uh, this guy's name was Bob. I'm not going to say his last name. He's, like I said, he's probably not even alive anymore. But again, he was one of those people that could intimidate me. He was a guy who could push all of my buttons and make me feel uncomfortable. And we've all had those people. We've had people who push our buttons, who make us feel uncomfortable. Well, this was in the management training program with Kroger. It was back in the day. We didn't have the technology that you and I enjoy today with all of this kind of stuff. And again, we, 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 we need more new stuff here. But again, we just can't do it just right now. But, but again, technology has changed everything. But this was back in the day. And back in the day, we had something called a whiteboard. And we still have those. Most people don't use them anymore. But a whiteboard is where you have a whiteboard and you have a black marker and you write stuff on there. And when you're done with it, you just take the eraser like a chalkboard and you can just wipe it off. Well, I was putting together a presentation for my fellow trainees in the Kroger Management Training Program and the staff that was in charge of the program. And I had put all my information on a whiteboard that was a part of my presentation. And this guy who intimidated me, who pushed all my buttons, he sees my presentation and he just comes along and he picks up the eraser and he just wipes away all of my content. Because I had some stuff on there that was not right. And he looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm just going to let you start over. He erased everything off of the whiteboard and said, I'm just going to let you start over because I want you to start over with a clean slate. And so I started over. Because I didn't have things exactly as they should have been. And he saw that, and he comes along, and he gives me a clean slate. And I get to start over, as if I was starting for the very first time. And, and, and that clean slate that he gave me, it was like grace in the face of the mistake that I was about to make when it came to the initial presentation that I was going to do in front of the group. I mean, think about life, how many times you mess things up. You're like me, you mess up all the time. Some of you messed up before you even got here this morning. I mean, just, how think, just think how great it would be if every time that you messed up, that you could just, you know, you could just say, I'm just going to start over. I just, I'm just going to start with a clean slate. 
like when you get pulled over by the Lebanon Police Department. See, I've got a connection. And my connection will text me and say, here's the hot spot. You need to get on my email list, my text message list. You see what I'm saying? Because they, they, they will text me and say, the hot spot, and they, because they text me Friday morning and said, the hot spot is West Main. And do you, do you know that about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, the hot spot was West Main from like the square to Walgreens? And in an eight-hour shift, listen, 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 they wrote 87 tickets. Now, just think if those tickets are just $200 a piece. 87 times 200. Think how much money that is. But think if you get pulled over today and you're going around the square and you don't mean to, but your phone rings and you look at it and the motorcycle policeman is sitting there on the side and he sees you looking at your phone and he pulls you over because you're not supposed to be on your phone while you're driving. And he writes you a ticket and you can say, officer, I'm just going to go ahead and take a clean slate right here. I'm going to get a do-over. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to get a clean slate? Or, or maybe when the bank calls you this week, and the bank says, you know what? You didn't have enough money to cover that check that you wrote in that account. Time out, time out. Can I just get a clean slate? Can I just start over? Wouldn't it be great to get a clean slate? Or maybe you botch a test. Maybe you forgot a Mother's Day gift, a Father's Day gift. Maybe you forgot to send in your taxes. Wouldn't you like to tell Joe, not Joe Biden, wouldn't you like to tell the IRS, give me a clean slate? Because that's what life is. Life is full of those moments. Life is full of what I call clean slate moments. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes that clean slate runs a little bit deeper. See, sometimes you need a clean slate for whole eras of your life. You're like Taylor Swift, the eras tour, you know? You have an era of just mistake after mistake after mistake, and you need a clean slate. Maybe you hurt somebody in your life who really matters. And after you hurt that person who really matters to you, now what are you done? What's happening? You're eaten up by the guilt of what you did, and you don't know if the level of trust can be restored with that person. Maybe looking back at your life, there was a time when you were doing things you weren't necessarily proud of or supposed to. Maybe, maybe you got an abortion. Nobody knows about it. Maybe you've been involved in a, in a, in a shady financial practice. And you're living in the fear right now of being found out and being disgraced. You live in the awareness that your life is built on this deception and this fraud. And, and maybe, just maybe, nobody will ever know. But your own conscience and your own moral sensitivity... Because of what you did, it's just being eroded day by day by day. It's dishonesty. And let me tell you, that dishonesty, listen, is like a spiritual cancer. And that spiritual cancer is destroying your soul. And you need a clean slate more than you could ever even know.
Maybe you're involved in a habitual practice. And that practice is destroying you. And you wish so much that you could stop what you're doing, but you don't seem to be able to stop no matter what it is that you do. Or maybe you failed at something that really matters. Maybe you failed at your life's work. Maybe you failed at your marriage. Maybe you failed at parenting. Maybe you failed at integrity. And that sense of failure just hangs with you. That sense of failure just won't go away. You feel tainted because of, because of what you've done. And you feel like you won't ever be free from that thing that you did. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to introduce you to, to somebody who had an encounter with Jesus. And, and this is somebody that could totally relate to what we're talking about. This is somebody that totally needed a clean slate. He needed it so badly that I honestly don't think that he ever thought he would actually get it. So this morning, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to continue to look at the life of Peter. Because to me, it's the encounters that Peter has with Jesus and the way those encounters happen and transpire, it, it, it always leaves me kind of fascinated because, it, fascinated because it's always so interesting. I mean, just take a minute and think about it. The journey of life that Peter had with Jesus, if you know anything about Peter, you understand that the journey of life that Peter had with Jesus, it's a journey of contradictions. I mean, think about what we looked at last weekend. In the midst of a raging storm, Peter climbed out of his boat at the invitation of Jesus to walk on the water. And he walked on the water for a moment only to divert, to divert his attention away from Jesus. And then he started to sink like a stone. Because Peter wanted to be like we do. He wanted to be a man of faith. He wanted to be a water walker. But when you think about the story, in a way, Peter failed. So this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bible. But if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 16, because this is the place that we see that there was a misunderstanding. There was some misunderstanding when it came to the idea of who Jesus really was. And here's the way Matthew writes this, Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, this is Peter, this is the one we're talking about. Peter answered, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus replied to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Now this happens. And then, and then just a, a few minutes later, Jesus is actually explaining to the disciples that he's going to be crucified. 
And then he will be resurrected three days later. But look at what it says. Here's another encounter. Look at this. Peter took him aside, talking about Jesus. And Peter began to rebuke him because of what Jesus had just said, that he was going to be crucified and he would be resurrected three days later. He said, never, Lord, that would never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then there's another encounter. There's this intimate meal that Jesus is having with his disciples the night before he's crucified. We know it as the Lord's Supper in the upper room. And he's explaining to them what's going to happen. And he's also telling the disciples that, guys, here's what you need to understand. Once this happens, you're just going to scatter. You're going to scatter in fear. And again, Peter looks up in this encounter. I want you to see what he says. Look at what he says. It says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I won't do that. I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Let me just say this. When Peter said that he would never disown Jesus, I believe he was honest. I believe that in his heart, that's what he truly meant. He truly meant in his heart that he was not going to do that. He could not fathom in that moment doing anything like that, doing anything different. In fact, when the soldiers showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who grabbed one of their swords and lopped off somebody's ear. I truly believe that he meant what he said. But most of you know the rest of the story. Just minutes later, on three different occasions, Peter was actually the one that would even deny that he knew Jesus. The very one who said that he would never do that did exactly what he said he never would do. And it begs me to ask a question. Look, look, look at the question. Have you ever promised Jesus that you would never do something only to find yourself doing that thing that you said you would never do again? Think about that. Have you ever promised Jesus that you would never do something only to find yourself doing the thing that you said you would never do again? And I think the answer for all of us is, of course. Of course you have. I have. 
You said something that you told Jesus, I'll never say that again. You looked at something that you promised Jesus, I'll never look at that kind of stuff again. I'll never look at that filth again. And you did exactly the thing that you said you would never do. And a moment in the moment that you did that, almost immediately, you felt the guilt and the shame that came along with that. See, this moment in Peter's life, it's hard to picture. Peter the Apostle. Peter the close friend of Jesus. Peter the passionate. Peter the risk taker who stepped out of the boat and onto the stormy water. That same Peter is now Peter in hiding. He's now Peter the weeping because he had done the unthinkable. He denied Jesus. And not only did he deny him three times, he did the very thing that he boasted that he would never do. The thing that he boasted is the very thing that he did. Not once, but three times. So Peter denies Christ. And Jesus is crucified. He rose from the dead three days later. And what's interesting is this. Peter was one of the first people on the scene to inspect the tomb. But interestingly enough, after Peter inspects the empty tomb, We read in John 21 that Peter goes back to his old life. Peter goes back to fishing. Because fishing is what Peter did before he met Jesus. Jesus called him out of the fishing trade to follow him. We haven't seen Peter fish since the time that Jesus called him. So why would he go back to that, especially now? Knowing that Christ, knowing that Jesus has risen from the dead, why would Peter go back to his old life? I'll tell you why I think Peter would go back to his old life. It's shame. Look at what Max Lucado says. He says this. He says, you see, Peter could not deny his denial. The empty tomb did not erase the rooster crowing. Christ had returned, but Peter, he must have wondered. After what I did, that's denying Christ three times, would he return for someone like me? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered the same thing? Because Peter's not the only one. Peter's not the only one that promised God, I will never, I will never. 
only to turn around and do the very thing that he said he wouldn't do. God, I promise no more lust. God, I promise no more numbing out on alcohol and drugs. I promise I'm done. From now on, God, I'm not going to gossip about anybody anymore. God, I'm going to make it a priority to get to church and to get involved in the church and follow Jesus. I mean, think about it. It's amazing the number of promises that we made, and then we experience the shame of not keeping the promise that we made. Rather than resisting the flirting, we return the flirting. Rather than ignoring the gossip, come on now somebody, we share the gossip. Rather than following Jesus, we take the path of least resistance. And then we do exactly what Peter did. We weep and we go fishing. Not literally. But we make the mistake and we feel the weight of the shame and the guilt of doing what we said we wouldn't do and we go back to our own lives. We go back to the things we did before we met Jesus. We go back to the things that we immersed, immersed ourselves in before we had Jesus in our life. We do what comes naturally rather than what comes spiritually. So let me ask you a question that kind of forces me to ask you in this story. Here's the question. Anybody here fishing this morning? Anybody here that would admit, you know you're not where you need to be. But you've, tr you've retreated because you wonder, based on what you did that you said you wouldn't do, now you wonder, does God want you? Does God want you on the team anymore? And for some of you, The shame that has pushed you out there on that boat, it's not even something you did, but it's something that happened to you. Maybe it's a date rape. Maybe it's a divorce that was out of your control. Whatever it was, it's left you wondering. Can God still use you? Now we get to the encounter I want us to see. Because the encounter we're about to look at that Jesus and Peter have, it's in this encounter that we see the heart of God and how God truly feels about people like us who have promised one thing only to do something contradictory to the promise that we made. 
Peter's hopeless. He's out fishing on a boat, feeling like shame, feeling like guilt, feeling like a disgrace. Peter is out fishing on this boat, feeling like he is never going to be able to be used by God again. I mean, think about it. Who could recover from somebody like what Peter did? So while Peter and a few of the other disciples are out there fishing, one of them looks kind of towards the shore. It's kind of like daybreak. And one of them notices this dark, shadowy figure on the beach. It's right at dawn. They've been out fishing all night, and they've caught nothing. And the figure sees them out fishing, and the figure kind of in the darkness, in the light, you know, the combination of the two, the figure yells out to them, Hey, guys, have you caught anything? And they can't really see who it is. And they're like, no, no, we ain't caught anything. And that shadowy figure on the beach yells out, hey, well, take your net and cast it on the other side. In other words, take it out of the water on this side of the boat and put it on the wa- in the water on the other side of the boat. They do exactly what that shadowy figure says. And they caught a mess of fish. And everybody at Captain D's applauded, you know. I mean, everybody was happy. And Peter locks his eyes on that shadowy figure. And Peter notices it's Jesus. And Peter screams out and he says, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And he jumps out of the boat, sprinting to him in the water. And Peter gets on the beach, and there's Jesus, who already had some fish grilling on a little charcoal fire right there on the beach. Jesus already had breakfast ready for them when they pulled the boat ashore. But look at how John records this encounter, John chapter 21. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, now again, let me just stop right there. For years, I read this and didn't understand the importance of this. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Because the redundancy of what Jesus asking the same question, it just seems to be, you know, kind of crazy to me. But the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter, like I would have been, was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. See, we naturally expect that the person most qualified to be a leader is the man or the woman who has the greatest natural ability 
or the greatest list of accomplishments. It's like failure means demotion. It's like failure in our marriage, failure in in, in the work environment, failure in our relationships. It's like failure means termination. We kind of call it these days and talk about it a lot. I've kind of alluded to this a couple of months ago. We talk a lot about the cancel culture. And I told you a couple of months ago that I believe that the originator of cancel culture is the church. Because when you think about it, that's the way the world works. You mess up, you screw up, you make a mistake, you say one thing and you do another. We're done with you. You're dead to us. That's that's the way cancel culture works. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. That's not the way that Jesus works. Instead, you know what Jesus does? He makes breakfast over a charcoal fire. He doesn't cancel you. He doesn't say you're dead to me. He makes breakfast for you. There are two places in the New Testament where the phrase or the term charcoal fire is used. And both uses of that term are in John's gospel. One is at Peter's denial. The second one is at the scene of Peter's restoration. And what John, listen, listen, what John is doing is drawing a parallel between those two fires. Because by one fire, Peter says, I don't know him. But by the other fire, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. By one charcoal fire, he denied Jesus. By the other charcoal fire, He's restored by Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Again, here's what I want you to see. Look at, look, look, look at me right here. As painful as that conversation was for Peter to have with Jesus, let me help you understand. That conversation was absolutely necessary. Because what Jesus is doing in that conversation, Jesus is cleaning the wound so that that wound can be properly healed. And he's getting rid of Peter's guilt and shame by dealing with the guilt and the shame openly. See, I think it's important to understand what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. Peter doesn't, I mean, Jesus doesn't humiliate Peter publicly. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, aren't you sorry for what you did? 
He doesn't make him promise. Jesus does not make Peter promise to do better in the future. Instead, the question is asked, do you love me? And see, to me, Peter is just so interesting. And he remains interesting. He remains to be a figure of surpassing interest to all of us. It's almost like we can't get enough of him. And you know why we can't get enough of Peter? Because Peter is the person we see every morning when we look in the mirror. We love Peter because we can see ourselves in his story. In fact, the story of Peter is our story. And his encounter with Jesus can be our encounter. See, for all of us, the journey, the process of, of growing as a Christian is long. And it's painful. Christian growth has its ups and downs. And we look at Peter, the rock. But even though he was the rock, there were times that Peter seemed very unrock-like. And it took repeated failure to create in him rock-like character. But Jesus never gave up on this guy. Jesus never gave up on Peter. As a matter of fact, here's the irony of the story. Look, look at the screen behind me. I want you to see this. From beginning to end. Jesus believed in Peter. Come on now. More than Peter believed in himself. So can I tell you something? Right now, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Right now, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. You're looking at the fumbles. You're looking at the mistakes. You're looking at the things that you've done in your life, and you're thinking, I can't be used. God can't use me. But let me tell you, Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. It reminds me of a football game. You know, you know how the officials, the officials, the referees will come out after a play? After a play has been deemed dead in the water? not gone the way that the team that had the ball wanted it to go and everything appears hopeless the game or the opportunity just seems over with and they say wait, wait a minute we're going to have to go look at the it's not the tape but it's like a replay and then somebody comes out onto the field one of those guys with the the, you know, the mic on, kind of like what I've got here, and he's got this on, and, you know, he, I mean, he's, he's a referee. I mean, I don't know which, 
one is the most important referee, but he's the guy who does all the talking to the television camera. And he says this. He says, upon further review. In other words, we went back and we looked at what happened, and upon further review, we're going to overturn the call. We're going to overturn the play. Just like they did yesterday at the end of the first half of the Tennessee-Virginia game. And it's in that one instance that everything changes. And see, here's the beauty of that. Every failure of your life is available for further review from God's life-giving power. Maybe you screwed up. Maybe you screwed up royally. And everybody around you has walked away and given up on you. Maybe there's something back in your life that you did and it was terrible. Maybe you did something that you promised your family that you would never, ever do again. Or maybe you've made mistakes that have cost you lots of time and lots of opportunity. It looks like a dead situation. It looks like it's over. But Crossroads, listen to me this morning. It's not over as long as Jesus is on the scene. Because I've on further review, he can restore your relationships. Upon further review, he can supply all of your needs. Upon further review, he can forgive you of your sins and make you whole. So this morning, I'd like to challenge those of you who promised God you'd do one thing only to do another. I want to challenge those of you who have gotten tied up and tangled up in some kind of shame and some kind of doubt. I want to challenge those of you who have dealt with God's ability to use you because of your sinfulness and mistakes or an event that occurred to you. I want to challenge you like Jesus challenged Peter who was in that boat. I want to challenge you to come out of hiding. I'm going to challenge you to stop fishing. To leave the lifestyle that you went back to. And to do the very thing that Peter was urged to do by Jesus. And that's to come home be the person that Jesus created you to be. Would you bow your heads this morning? God, we're so thankful that we can open your word. and Again, look at the encounters that our Savior Jesus had with Peter. Because when it comes down to life, that's who we are. We're people that struggle with the past and with shame and with guilt and with the decisions that we made, thinking that we're beyond your grace and your mercy. Thinking that we can't be used by you because of something that we've done. 
But through these encounters that we see in the life of Peter, it's just encouragement to step out of the boat, to walk on the water, to step out of the boat, to to step out of hiding. And not to allow the things of the past to define us and determine what the future looks like for us as we follow you. Because we want to be the people that you've called us to be. So today, in in a roundabout way, God, we come back to you. Bringing our lives back to you. Surrendering them back to you. Coming out of hiding. Walking on the water to you so that you can do in our life what only you can do. We seek a touch of the Master's hand. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this weekend. We thank you for these people, both here and those joining us online. Do a mighty work in their lives. As God, we re-surrender our lives back to you. Believing that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think in Christ Jesus. As we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You're turning over tables and calling for return to our lives upon the altar, the things we did at first. You're clearing out the temple, you're cleaning out the dirt, for we are your territory, Lord, we are your church. We are your people, you are our God. We are your temple, make us holy like you are. We stand together. You see your holy nation. A flock to consecrate A chosen generation A people called to pray So help us, God, to please you Where only you can see For every moment matters in eternity And we are your people And you are our God, and we are your temple, make us holy like you are. We are your children, you set us apart, God for your glory, make us holy like you are. Make us holy like a place where you delight to dwell. May we hear 
Make us holy like you are. 